All right, well, good morning. My name's, my name's Del. If I haven't met you yet, I'd love to. Uh, we're continuing our series today um, called Blessings at Home. Uh, and we've been discovering uh, in the scripture that God has uh, two kind of like lenses through which uh, he pours his grace and mercy on the world. The first, uh, you know, is through the gathering of Christians, uh, what we typically call church. Um, but we've also been learning that church is more than a place. There's a second word um, that relates to uh, the shape of our following of Jesus, and it actually is our households, our, our dwelling places, the, the places where we live every day. And so we've been, we've been digging into imagining and reimagining what it would look like um, to put our energy and focus and concentration into uh, those, those house places of gathering where, where Jesus shapes us and where he extends his love um, through us. And so uh, the last couple of weeks, Pastor Dan has been talking to us about questions that we could ask uh, to put conversations um, that lead more in that direction in, back into our households. And then last week, some plans that we could actually uh, in, inaugurate to, uh, to, to, to form direction uh, for, for our household gathering. So if you missed any of those, they're available on the web uh, to reprise or to, or to look at. Um, now, today, uh, I want to interrupt that a little bit to just acknowledge something, because when you think about home and what it should be, what do you wish it would be, um, particularly maybe at this time of the year with, with Christmas, where we kind of ramp up um, the, the beauty um, and the peace and the snowflakes um, and the Christmas music, um, and sometimes we have this idea um, that home kind of looks like this, up on the screen there, the blessings at home, or maybe up on the stage, uh, and you're thinking, this is more like my house, okay? And, um, or, and let, me just, let me just say a word about this, um, because, uh, you know, there may be conflict at home, there may be storms at home, um, there also may just be a sense of loneliness at home. I mean, maybe, maybe your family story uh, didn't turn out the way that you hoped, it disintegrated, that maybe you've experienced abandonment, um, and, there, and there's that kind of pain, there's loneliness, there's coldness, you know, there, or maybe alone, aloneness there. Um, and maybe, maybe you had dreams of a household that looks different than your household looks right now. And so, and so sometimes, isn't it true that when we ramp up the, the Christmas music and the lights and the ideals, that sometimes the gap between that and where we are is particularly painful? And so uh, I want to look this morning because Jesus... Um, is a lot more than um, Christmas music and eggnog. Okay? He, he actually came into the world that he knew was broken, um, and he was very explicit about the fact that he was coming to the pain of the world. Um, he was very explicit that he was, that he was talking about hope to people who needed it, people who knew that there was no hope scenarios or there, were, there was the underbelly of life life broken and not as it should be. Um, and so this is the context of the story that we're reading today in Mark 5. If you want to grab a chair Bible, it would be page 602. If you want to grab it some other way, it's Mark chapter 5. Um, and let's just begin looking at the story. So verse 1 tells us that they arrived at the other side of the lake. Now they would be the disciples and Jesus who were in a boat. Um, and they were in the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had climbed out of the boat... A man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. Now, 
take a pause here for a second and just remember the context. Do you remember the story where Jesus is in the boat with the disciples on the lake? He's asleep, and a storm arises out here on the lake that is so violent that it scared the disciples who were, you know, used to the, they were fishermen, they were used to the sea, scared them. They, they thought they were actually going to die, and they look over, and Jesus is asleep. And so they're like, what, don't you even care that we are about to die? Like, wake up. Jesus gets up and speaks to the wind and the waves, and they calm. And the disciples now are having adrenaline pileup, because it's sort of like, we thought we were going to die, and now this guy just talked to the wind, right? And, they're, and so they're like, they're like in utter kind of like agitation, and Jesus says some things about their faith. They arrive at the shore to their destination. That's this chapter. And Jesus gets out of a boat. And what I want you to see that is that the context here that we're dealing with as we read these words is that Jesus not only calms storms that rage in our environment outside of us, but there is another kind of storm that rages on the inside of us. Okay, And this man that came out to meet him as we read his story, we're going we're gonna to realize that this man had a raging storm on the inside of his life that had, that had accumulated to such force and violence that it was as destructive, if not more, than the storm that they had just left on the sea. And it's interesting to note that there are different kinds of storms in our lives. There are storms that rage on the outside, and then there are storms that rage on the inside of our lives and of our households. Now, the question then that we're going to ask as we look to the story is how do we handle storms that rage on the inside of our lives? Now, we'll pick it up in verse 3 again, though. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained. Now, we don't know his full story, but what I want you to, what I want you to note here is that the storm raging in this man's life was not an overnight storm. It, it, it was a storm that had gathered force and intensity and progression and scope over a long period of time. And storms that rage on the inside of our lives are often like that. They sometimes start small or they start in one area. Um, and if they are not addressed, they grow. And this storm had grown to epic proportions in, his, in this man's life uh, to the point where we'll see in a minute the impact that the storm was having on him uh, and others. Now, here's the thing I want you to note uh, about storms that rage on the inside of our lives. The problems, the storms in our lives do not generally get better all by themselves. Now, I talk to all kinds of people. They know that they have storms. But the, but the sort of parallel narrative is the hope that if they just somehow keep swimming, keep moving, um, that they will go away. And so rather than address them, they attempt to live in the middle of them. And, and what happened to this man, at least, and what happened so many times, is that the storms that start small, if they're not addressed, begin to have residual effect. They grow, they grow in intensity and scope, and they get worse and worse. Um, and, and ignoring them is not a good solution. 
Now, verse 4 tells us this. Whenever this man put, you know, he was put in chains, chains and shackles as he often was, he would snap the chains from his wrists and smash the shackles and no one was strong enough to subdue him. In other words, people around this man, we'll find out that he had a family, but he certainly had, he had some friends, he had society around him, uh, who, who in various ways had become increasingly aware of the, the, the intensity of this storm, the destructiveness of the storm, and they were trying to help in their own way. They were trying to check the progression of it, uh, and this storm had gotten to a place where the impact of it was incredibly painful, not just on the man, but on his whole community. And I think this would be a good time to stop and just to acknowledge the fact that there are some storms that are raging right now in your, in your life, in people's lives, in this building. They're inside storms. You know, there's storms, that, there's storms that don't necessarily come to church, you know, like in an open way with us, um, but they have incredible impact. And oftentimes the people who bear as much pain, if not more, for the storms that rage inside of our lives and families are the people, are the people that are closest to us. It, it is unbelievable how the people that we love the most, we often hurt the most. It's unbelievable that the people that we live for are often the people that the storms end up wrecking the most as well. Uh, this, this is always the story about the storms inside. And so Jesus, or the story tells us that Day and night, this man wandered among burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. The, the, the wreckage, the havoc over time that this was, that this was wreaking on this man um, in his life is almost incalculable. But just note some of the descriptions that were just given in this brief text. This man was literally living like a dead man. He was in the tombs. He was hurting himself. He was exposed. He was vulnerable. He was limited by the behavior that had become habitual in his life. He was, he was really unsafe in relationships. He was volatile. Sometimes he was very violent. And, and it, made, it made close interpersonal connection over time virtually impossible for this man. And I just, want to, I just want to point out that the pain and the havoc that inside storms can, can, can result um, in our lives is devastating. It's, it's as destructive and as violent and as disruptive as anything we face in life. And so when Jesus, still some distance away, when the, when the man saw him, the text tells us, the man ran to meet him and he bowed low before him and with a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus? 
son of the most high God. In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Now, here's, what, here's the interesting thing. As storms on the inside begin to develop and take root and, and rage and have their impact, it's unbelievable how simultaneously people who are hurt and in torment often perceive offers of help as threats. Do you see this in the text? Jesus, the man who had just spoken to an outside storm to calm it, the man who came from God to express God's heart to the people who most needed it in the middle of storms, perceived Jesus himself as an interference and as a further torment. Isn't that interesting? And so many times I've noticed this effect um, in people as it relates to their storms. They're embarrassed about their storms. They're ashamed of the, of the things that they have said and done or, or the things that have been done to them. Oftentimes they feel guilty. And so facing the storm requires coming to grips in some way with the reality of it all. But they, but they, in so many ways, resist help. This is especially true when it comes to God, I think in part because the story of God is not always told in the face of Jesus who, st- who stood before him. And so they think, on top of all the pain, the religious community who, in their mind, is about being good and the God who is about judging sin would be the, I mean, what's the point of bringing all the pain and the storm to a place where, I'm, where it's just going to be condemned, where I'm just going to be rejected, where, it's just, where I'm just going to be further ostracized for my storm. And so part of what I, what I want to, you to see here is this tension that always exists as we're in the middle of a storm thinking about how do I, how do I bring peace to it. These are, these are the human dynamics of this. And so it's interesting that then Jesus says to this man who is shrieking before him, what is your name? What is your name? Now, it is absolutely true that the storm has to be named before it can be healed. I mean, step one of any kind of recovery is the willingness to name the storm, is to acknowledge the fact that there's a problem, that there is an issue, that there is a storm, that it's having impact. And it's interesting, when you, when you talk to people in their change process, it is so hard to name honestly the storm, isn't it? We call our storm so many things. Like, for example, we call our storm not so bad. It's not so bad. Um, and, and we say, you know, I, I don't really have a problem. Like, I know, I know this got out of hand in this place, in this place, in this place. Um, I just need to sort of get my head back on straight and, and I can handle it. Or we call our storm not my fault. Sometimes. You ever, you ever, you ever name your storm in that direction where, where really you're blaming someone else for the storm and saying the problem actually exists somewhere else. So, sometimes it's hard to name our storm because we're afraid. 
We've tried in so many ways to reach out in our own, our own kind of ways for help to test the validity of the solution out, and so many times it hasn't worked. So now, now we bear the double shame of not only having a storm, but a storm that broke the solutions. And who wants to go through that again? So, so sometimes, sometimes we, 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 we hedge the, the bet of actually naming the thing for what it is because we're afraid ultimately that, that, that we're beyond help. But I just want you to note that Jesus asked this man his name. He, wanted, he was inviting this man to name the issues in his life. And so this man replied, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. Now it's interesting, a legion um, is, a, is a Roman garrison term. It's 6,000 soldiers. Um, in other words, the storm raging inside of this man, the, the, the issues and the evil that was present there was a lot. It was multi-layered. It was complicated. Um, it would, in other words, it was even hard to talk about it because it's almost like saying, where do you start? Like there's 6,000 pieces to this. Right? And it's hard to bring that sometimes to a church foyer even if you were willing, like, how do you actually even describe the true nature of the storm? So my name is Legion. But I also want you to note that I think this is metaphorical as well in the sense that, that issues in our lives and storms in our lives always have a fragmenting and disintegrating effect. They go off in the middle of our lives and things fly everywhere. Evil itself and, and, and issues have a way of disintegrating the human person into so many different pieces. And so this also is true that we could say of this man, he was, he was filled with evil or dark places in his life. There was many of them in terms of scope, but they were also, they were also, they were also dividing him okay, into thousands of pieces. And evil is always like that. It always, inter- it always disintegrates. Jesus, Jesus is always on the pathway of integration. And it's also true that sometimes we can live in storms and in that disintegration for so long that it actually becomes inseparable from how we even think of ourselves and our lives. You know, a storm has really taken root and really done its damage when you could no longer separate yourself from the storm. You follow what I'm saying here? Like where, where the storm itself feels like it is you. It is your identity. It is who you are. It, is, it has become your life. This is particularly true with raging storms like addictions, but it's true in every facet of how storms can shape the way we think about our true selves. And the scripture tells us in verse 10 that Jesus spoke to these deep places in this man's life to come out of him and the evil spirits began to beg him again and again not to send them to some distant place. 
There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. So Jesus gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Now, um, interesting here, when, when I'm talking to people in the middle of a storm, sometimes they will tell me a little bit about the reality of their storms, and then it's sort of like uh, they feel, they feel, they feel um, bad almost, like, like maybe I'm just being dramatic. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe, maybe this happens to every. you know, maybe this is just, you know, I just need to suck it up because, like, this is just the way life is. Well, I want you just to get a glimpse here that the pain and the torment that can live inside of human beings is so great that pigs can't even handle it for five minutes. I mean, I don't know all that was going on here, but basically these pigs were out of there, right? This guy had been living this for, with what, for years? And I, I just want to acknowledge for a second here that even in a room like this, even in a room like this, if we were really to put the lived experience of our storms on the table, okay, and just, and just like say, you know, this, this is the reality of what I've been through. This is the, the reality of my life. This is the reality that I'm in. That the pain of all this from a human standpoint and that God sees and cares about is inexpressible. It's real. And Jesus knows it is, which is why he wants it out. Because he has something else in mind and, uh, for your life and for your, for your household. And so a crowd, a crowd, the scripture says, soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, he was fully clothed, and he was perfectly sane. I love that. I love this because it shows the scope of the healing that Jesus wants to bring to your life and to your, to your household. It's for the whole person. Like he was sitting there, he was at enough emotional peace to actually sit down. His agitation had been banished. He was fully clothed rather than naked. He was, got, Jesus had restored dignity to his body and to his person. Um, and he was in his right mind. Mind, emotions, and body is the scope of Jesus' vision for your life, for your household. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the scripture tells us, the man who had been possessed, had been demon-possessed, I think missed a word there, but begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. Now, here's what, I want, here's what I want you to note. Jesus' plan for each of us is for us to experience and then take home God's mercy. Now, it's interesting. Jesus was building a missionary movement, but he wouldn't let this guy go. Uh, part of the reason was that Jesus cared not only about this man, but who else did he care about? He cared about his family. He wanted 
mercy and love and healing to live first in this man's home. So part of us are asking as we gather, you know, around like the ways of Jesus and we come to a place like this and he's like, well, what's, this, is, this ultimately is not about your household or your family or your life benefiting or contributing our church. That's not why we exist. It's actually the opposite. The church is actually to bring the mercy and love of God to your life and your home. That's, that's why we're here. Okay? And so Jesus' movement is like this because what you're going to see next is that the man, as he's going home, starts off to visit the ten towns where he's from, and he just begins to proclaim great news and great things about what Jesus has done. Like, he's loving, he's merciful, he's a deliverer, he met me in my storm, he brought, he brought calm to the division and the fragmentation, he, he, he reclothed me, he, he healed my whole person. Like, grace is, grace is amazing, it is good news, the gospel is actually good news. Like, what we actually do on witness and mission is this good newsing people, that God is actually like this. And mission work really is just telling your story of God's mercy to everybody you know. Now, it's interesting. I won't go into this right now, but this is a pretty unlikely first missionary. Like, he was sent. Um, And he also went to a really unlikely mission field if you're a Jew. Like, you thought they were outside of the scope of God's love at that point if you were a Jew. And Jesus' like first missionary effort actually is just good newsing a uh, community that wasn't a part of the in-group. So again, God's, God's surprising like that. You know, he's really different than religion. Um, and this is mission. Now here's the conclusion. This is, where, this is where I wanted to go with all this. There's storms that rage on the outside there's also storms that rage on the inside. Jesus cares about the storms in your life and in your family. If you remember, this is actually why why he said he came. He came not for those who are well, but for those who have storms. He cares about it. Like, if, if, if Christianity and church and, and what it means to follow Jesus for you hasn't gotten down to the level of your storms, you're still missing some good stuff. I mean, the best stuff that Jesus has for you uh, in his love is he cares about you, right? Not, not, not what you might be or could be, but what you are. He loves you. He cares about you. He's, he cares about your storm. And so do we. Um, and I want, to, I want you to meet uh, a couple this morning, um, right before we close. Bill and Tammy, would you come up here? Um, I know a lot of you know Bill and Tammy. If you don't, this is Bill and Tammy. Okay, now, uh, we don't have a pastor of storms, okay, at our, on our church staff, but we do have a pastor of care, which is the pastor of storms. Okay, now, if there's a storm raging inside of your life or in your family or somebody you love, we care about that because Jesus does also. Right? Now that storm can take many forms. It could, be, it could be a storm in your marriage. 
Storms, some, storms sometimes rage there for, for decades. It could, be, it could be a storm with one of your kids or a kid with, with your parents. It could be a storm in your interpersonal like relationships or connections. It could be a storm sexually. It could be a storm of depression or anxiety. It could be a storm of anger. But if you've got a storm that's raging in your life, remember, storms, storms don't tend to go away by themselves. And Jesus, Jesus cares. He knows he has the power to still storms. He has, the, he, has the, he has the power to bring through his love and his way integration into your life. But sometimes it's in the process that we saw. You've got, you've got, to, you've got to name the storm. Right? And, you've, and you've got to stop resisting or distrusting or being reluctant about help. And I know that's a big, I know that's a big jump, so let me just tell you this. Um, I know Bill and Tammy super well. They, they've stayed married for decades, not without issues. They've raised kids. They've, 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 they've been through some storms. They've been business people. They've been in ministry. They, they're not, they, they've, they've given their lives um, to, to be on the periphery of storms. And you could do a lot worse than reaching out to one of them to start the conversation about what it would look like to bring Jesus healing to your storms. Okay, I know that you would love that. Um, and they will not necessarily have all the answers, you know, but they will, what, what they do in our church is they mobilize love and care and resources of all kinds in this community to support you and help. So you're not going to be judged. You're going to be loved. I, I know that um, from knowing Bill and Tammy, okay? Um, can we pray together? Lord, I just, the, the stories that you tell to reveal who you are in the face of Jesus and what you care about continually blow me away. Um, thank you that underneath the eggnog and the Christmas lights and the music and the beautiful ways that we express the existence of peace and joy in the world, there is actually a God who came right into the middle of storms, outside and inside, and knows how to bring integration to our messiest places. I pray that no one in this community or those that we love uh, would go untouched by your words of calming peace that are available through the incredibly good and unending love of our great God. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.